Is there a God? That is the question of this hour. Last week, we began a new series of messages titled, Explore God. Over 850 churches in Chicagoland are going through this series together. And our hope is that we, the church, will grow in our Christian convictions and be better equipped to answer the hard questions that unchurched people have. It is also our hope that you will invite your unchurched friends and neighbors, co-workers, family to an Explore God growth group or to our church services during these seven weeks. And let us always remember that while God is responsible for the outcome, we are responsible to share the truth about God in love. So the first question we began with last week was this, does life have a purpose? Does life have a purpose? And the answer is no, life does not have a purpose without God. That is exactly what one of our neighbors told Marla and me while sitting in our living room or dining room for our first Explore God growth group session last Friday night. He happens to be an atheist and a very nice neighbor, very successful attorney, uh, grew up in a Catholic home but abandoned the Catholic faith and became an atheist. I find it interesting that King Solomon came to the same conclusion that this atheist neighbor of mine did in his book of Ecclesiastes. We quoted it last week. And so today we will consider the question of whether or not there is a God. The famous Russian novelist and Christian philosopher Fyodor Dostoevsky said, without God, everything is permitted. Without God, everything is permitted. In other words, without a supreme being like God, who sets the standard for morality? Where do we get our sense of right and wrong without a divine law giver? Do you know how crucial the Bible is in and how crucial it was in the crafting of the U.S. Constitution? Invaluable. I had the privilege to visit the new Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. a few months ago. And one of the things I realized is that in almost every civilized culture around the world, the Ten Commandments found in the Holy Scriptures are responsible for their civil laws. A well-known Chicago pastor and author, A.W. Tozer, who is now in heaven, said this, whatever comes to mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Interesting thought, isn't it? And so what about you? What thoughts come to your mind when you have a God thought? Do you believe that God exists? Or do you struggle with doubt about his existence. My atheist neighbor said that Bertrand Russell, the British mathematician and philosopher, convinced him because to become an atheist with his teapot illustration. The teapot illustration goes like this. Suppose I told you there was a teapot too small to even see with the naked eye or even with a telescope and that it was orbiting somewhere in space between the moon and Mars. Could you prove it or disprove it? That is the likelihood of Russell believing or not believing in God. 
Well, the, psalm, the psalmist says in Psalm, 1, in psalm 14, verse 1, it says what? The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Now, keep in mind that I'm quoting the Bible here. I'm not calling anyone a fool, but I'm just simply saying what the Bible says of people who fail to believe in God. It says that a fool has said in his heart that there is no God, Psalm 14.1. And the reason is simple. The reason is simple. If we were to put this screen up, guys, put up the screen for just a minute. Uh, behind this screen is one of our many murals that we have up that was painted by some of our artists, former members of our church. And um, look at this beautiful mural. How many of you know who the artist or artists are of this mural? Anybody know? Anybody know their names? A couple of you, but most of you have no clue who painted this. What if I told you that nobody painted this? What if I said nobody painted this? There was no artist. Despite the fact that you have no idea who painted it, your assumption is that somebody did. Right? And the reason we know that there is, an, there is a painter is because there is a painting. Right? I mean, isn't that simple? Simple logic. If you have a painting, there must be a painter. Across the street, they're putting up a beautiful... You can put the screen back down, guys. Across the street, there's a beautiful new high-rise condominium being built. How do we know that they're builders? Anybody know who's building it? Have you met any of the builders? How do you know that they're builders building that building? Because if there's a building, there must be a builder, right? I mean, it's simple. Even third grade children can understand this. How in the world can you look at this magnificent world and say to yourself, it just happened. There's no creator. It just, there was a big explosion billions and billions of years ago, and over billions and billions of years, we have everything perfectly in order. The sun comes up and goes down. The earth turns on its axis and orbits the sun. The universe is just right. The gravity is just as it is. You know, stuff grows and you put seeds in the ground. It grows. We have food. We have animals. And it all just works out of an explosion from billions and billions of years ago. I don't know about you, but I've seen some explosions. They destroy stuff. They don't create stuff. <laughs> Explosions cause stuff to be destroyed. doesn't put things together nicely, neatly, and orderly. If there's a, an art, if there's art, we assume there's an artist. If there's a painting, we assume there's a painter. If there's a building, we assume there is a builder. Now, I must admit that there are times when I doubt God's existence. Like when he doesn't answer my prayers in the way that I prayed. And then I'm reminded that God always answers our prayers. It's just that sometimes he says yes, and sometimes the answer is no, and sometimes the answer is wait. It's like Chicago. You don't like the weather? Wait a minute. That's what they told me when I came here many years ago. If you don't like the weather, wait a minute. It will change. 
God always answers our prayers. It's just not always the answer we're looking for. And that's when we have to trust that God knows best. Remember the, the old show, Father Knows Best? God knows best. Listen to the wisdom of children as they themselves explore the question of God. Dear God, are you really invisible or is this just a trick? Lucy. Dear God, how come you did all those miracles in the old days but don't do any now? Seymour. Of course, Seymour is not here to hear your testimony this morning, Daniel, of the miracles that God still does. Dear God, maybe Cain and Abel would not kill each other so much if they had their own rooms, like it works for me and my brother. Lucy, or no, Larry. Uh, dear God, I bet it's very hard for you to love all of everybody in the whole world. There are only four people in our family, and I could never do it. Frank. <laughs> what if we were more honest and willing to express our true feelings and questions that we have about God, like children often do. God is not intimidated by our questions, and neither are we here at UBC. That's one of the reasons God led me to lead our church to be a real church of the real God to the real world. You see, the real world has real hard questions about God. And we Christians ought to equip ourselves with real answers to the questions the world is asking. And that's why the Apostle Paul wrote to young Timothy saying, Study to show yourselves approved unto God. A worker who needs not be ashamed, but rightly handling the word of truth. How much time do you spend studying God's word? to answer the hard, honest questions that unbelievers are asking? Do you care enough about the souls of unchurched people to equip yourself, not just to satisfy your own inquiring mind, but theirs too? Don't let yourself be intimidated by the hard questions that skeptics ask. Don't be afraid of them, but study, read, and come to understand so that your own questions might be answered and you may be equipped to answer the questions of others. Read books by people like Dr. Ravi Zacharias or John Lennox or Ken Ham or Norm Geisler or Lee Strobel. And if you don't like to read, you can watch YouTube videos by these men that teach the truth about God and answering the hard questions that people are asking. In fact, my kids often will watch uh, YouTube videos of Ravi Zacharias or Dr. John Lennox, and they say, Dad, you know, I was talking to some friends who don't believe, and they're asking these questions, and look, Dr. Zacharias is answering it right here and on, on YouTube, and, and now I know, and now I can answer and speak intelligently about God to my friends that are asking hard questions. You may not hear the God's audible voice, you will not see his physical body, and you may not see his handwriting in the sky, but there is much evidence for the existence of God. In Psalm chapter 19, that's the first, verse, first book of the Bible we're going to look at today and study. Psalm 19, verses 1 to 4, here's what we find. 
The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voices go out into all the earth, their words into the ends of the world. In the heavens he has pitched a tent for the sun. Very poetic language there. The psalmist is teaching us that God's very own creation speaks to his glorious existence. Think about it. Here, the focus is on the heavenly created bodies of God's handiwork, the sun, the moon, the stars, the the universe, the galaxies. It says day after day, night after night, the sun, moon, and stars are calling out to humanity to look up and to give God glory because God is their creator. Sadly, from ancient times and even now, there's always been various cultures of people who worship these heavenly bodies of creation rather than their creator. The ancient Egyptians, for example, practiced what is called solar religion, and they worship the sun as God. But do you know that what the sun has been saying all along from the very beginning of its own creation? The sun has been saying to us humanity, and humanity saying, God is light, and his light shines on the just and the unjust throughout the whole world, just like my light shines. The same sun that melts butter hardens the clay. It all depends on the constitution of the thing receiving its sunlight. The sun says, just as I am the center of the universe and the universe revolves around me, so it is that God is the center of the moral universe and the universe revolves around him. The sun says, as faithful as I rise in the eastern morning skies and set in the western evening skies, so is the faithfulness of God to be counted on day after day and night after night. That's what the sun is saying. To us who would listen, the sky constantly whispers to us, my vast expanse speaks to the immensity of God. My incredible height is an illustration of his transcendency and his sovereignty, not to mention his love and mercy. Psalm 103 verse verse 11 says, For as high as the heaven is above the earth, so great is God's love for those who fear him. Back to Psalm 19 verses 3 and 4 speaks to the global coverage of the creation's message and influence. Among every language and tribe and culture, The sun, the moon, the stars declare the glory of Almighty God. And this speaks to God's universal influence, His universal providence and goodness. In Romans chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, we find this. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without 
excuse. The Apostle Paul is in agreement with the psalmist, teaching us that God has not left us without a witness to himself. God has not left us without a witness. The beautiful, symmetrical, fine-tuned, and well-ordered universe leaves no excuse not to believe in God. As foolish as it would be to look at a building and claim that there is no builder, or to look at a painting and believe that there is no painter, or to admire any kind of art and say that there is no artist, it is just as foolish and even more personally devastating to look at this incredible universe, including the pinnacle of God's creation, the human being, and say that there is no creator. There was once, I heard the story once of a, a physician who was an atheist, and, um, and he was a surgeon. And he actually uh, was a a surgeon, like an orthopedic surgeon, like the one that operated on my knee, Dr. Daniel Newman, on Friday morning. And one day after surgery, he was uh, walking back to his office, and he had his hand in his pocket, and he pulled his hands out, and some coins fell on the floor of the hospital. And he bent over, and he picked up a few pennies, the smallest coin, and he looked at his hand, and he realized these questions came to him. Why are my fingers the size and shape that they are and placed in those positions? And it suddenly dawned on him that he could not have picked up that penny unless the thumb was this shape and this size next to the index finger that was this shape and this size, next to the middle finger that was this shape and this size, and the ring finger and the pinky finger. He says all of those fingers came together and scooped up that penny. And if these fingers were not in these positions and in that shape and size, picking up a penny would be impossible. And he thought this could not be an accident. And that little thought led him to research to then become a believer that he is fearfully and wonderfully created. It is just as foolish and even more personally devastating to look at the incredible universe including us as human beings, and to say that there is no creator. Apart from the argument of the created order, which speaks volumes to the existence of God, what about the evidence of conscience and the sense of right and wrong, shame and pride? Where do these things come from if we're just made of material stuff? Where does the thought life come from? If this is just a material world and there's no spiritual, do you realize that you are not your body, but you live in your body? That's why it is said at many funerals that here lies the body of so-and-so. But that person is no longer housed in that body, which is dead. But that person is gone on into the next life, either forever together with God in heaven or forever separated from God in hell. We are not our bodies, but we live in our bodies. The Bible says our body is also the temple of the living God as Christians. And so what about this idea of love, a sense of right and wrong, the conscience, shame, pride? Where does that come from if we're simply made of material stuff? 
Romans chapter 2, verses 14 and 15 says this, Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature the things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law, since they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, and their thoughts now accusing, now even defending them. Interesting, isn't it? Like Dostoevsky says, if God doesn't exist, then everything is permissible. See, last week we saw in Ecclesiastes that God has put eternity in the hearts of men as a signal that we are made not just for this world, but for eternity. And we were made not just for ourselves, but for our eternal creator. Here in Romans, Paul also informs us that God has written his moral code of ethics in every human heart. We all have a conscience of what is morally right and wrong, and we can see that even in toddlers. For those of you who have your own children or have been around children, look at their cute little faces when they are caught doing wrong. It's a, it's a remarkable thing. One of the things that our family loves to do on Sunday night is to watch... Uh, America's Funniest Videos. And, uh, and folks from all over the country send in their videos to the AFV studios and they review them and, and put some of them up for everybody to see. And a lot of these videos have to do with little kids, you know. And, uh, and they're getting into all kinds of mich mischief. And, and I mean, the faces that are on these kids when they're caught doing something wrong, whether their hand is in the cookie jar or they're you know, in the refrigerator or they're, they're eating all the candy and the chocolate, whatever, and it's all over their faces. That look is precious. But they, even the children, know within their hearts what is right and wrong. And when they're caught, their face betrays them. C.S. Lewis makes an important point regarding the human desires which, with which we were created. He says this, Creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for these desires exists. A baby feels hunger. Well, there is such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there is such a thing as water. Men feel sexual desire. Well, there is such a thing as sex. If I find myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. End quote. So what about you? You've tried alcohol, you've tried multiple sex partners, you've tried all the things that money can buy, but still there is something missing, isn't there? Could it be that those desires can only be satisfied by the God who made you through his son Jesus Christ? Could it be that something is really someone? And his name is Jesus. Pollsters George Gallup and George Barna tell us that 80 to 85 percent of all Americans believe that there must be a God. Even those who are not religious believe that there must be a God out there somewhere. Are you one of those? Are you one of those? If so, are you living as if he really does exist? How does the knowledge 
of his existence impact your daily life? It won't, really, until you have a personal relationship with him. And, and we will take a look at that personal relationship. That, that's a question that we're going to look at in a few weeks. But imagine a world. Imagine a world where everyone lived as if God existed. And as if he cared about our everyday lives and loved us unconditionally. How would that change our lives? How would that change our relationships, our schools, our neighborhoods, our marriages, our politics, our single adult lives, our workplaces? Don't you think it would literally change our world for the better? Absolutely it would. See, evidence for God can be seen, first of all, in the created universe, secondly, in our morality, in our conscience, in loving and forgiving relationships. Has anybody ever seen the movie Unbroken? Directed by Angelina Jolie. It's about a guy named Louis Zamperini, a U.S. World War II veteran. He was captured at sea by the Japanese military and he was placed in a brutal work camp there in Japan with others who were brutally captured and tortured by the Japanese camp commander who was nicknamed the bird. Nevertheless, he survived the excruciating suffering at the hands of his Japanese captors and he was liberated by the Allied forces, all of them were. He returned to California to his family. He got married and started a family of his own. As a young man, he had run in the Olympics and he was, his dream was to run the Olympics again, but then the war came up and he went to fight in the war. And, and so after his return to the U.S., many, many years later, he got to run in the Olympics. And guess which country hosted the Olympics that year? It was Japan. And he got to carry the torch the, run with the Olympic torch. He was about 81 years old at the time. This was in 1998. And this 81-year-old U.S. Army veteran held a torch and he ran by nearby where he was held captive and brutally treated as a prisoner of war so many decades earlier. By this time, he had become a Christian. And he wanted to meet his captors, if any of them were still alive. All the prison guards who brutally tortured him, especially that one camp commander called the Bird. And the officials arranged for him to meet those who were still living. And when he came face to face with them, you know what he said to them? I forgive you. And I love you. Who does that? except for someone whose heart has truly been forgiven and loved by God. You see, the one who has been forgiven and loved is able to forgive and love others. Only those whose hearts have been truly gripped by the forgiveness and the love of God. Jesus said, love your enemies. Bless those that curse you. Be kind to those that hate you. And pray for those who use and persecute you. That's exactly what Louis Zamperini did decades after he was tortured by 
the Japanese military. See, nobody does that without the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of them. That is an unmistakable evidence of the supernatural existence of Almighty God. Once we discover that there really is a God, then we are ready to have a personal relationship with Him. See, to know Him is to love Him because He first knew and loved us. And that is, in part, the story of the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let us pray. As your heads are bowed and eyes are closed, think about where are you in your journey towards God? Where are you in this spiritual journey? I want to invite you to take your welcome slip that's in your bulletin today and fill that out. And let us know how we can be praying for you. Let us know how we can help you. Maybe you've got a question that's not yet been considered. One that you're wrestling with, trying to get... It's an honest question. It's a hard question. Well, as I've mentioned already before, we're not intimidated by hard questions. Neither is God. And here's my promise to you. If you are still wrestling with God about some question that you have unanswered, that leads you to believe that maybe there is no God, I'd love to have a conversation with you. I'd love to try to answer that question. Would you simply write that on that sheet? In the back you can put there your question. There are areas where you can tick off. Maybe you have questions about our church or about the gospel, about the Bible, about God. Maybe you're looking for a church home and you say, you know what? What does it take to become a member here? And you can indicate that on that form. Maybe you want to be baptized. We'd love to talk to you about that. Whatever your spiritual need is this morning, we want to help you move closer to a functioning, healthy relationship with the God who made you. So simply fill that out. We'll be careful with that information. Whatever contact information you give to us, we store it electronically on an online database that is safe and secure. We don't sell your information to anyone or give it away to anyone. And we take that very seriously and, and carefully. Let's stand now for prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for being you all by yourself. <laughs> and thank you for creating us to have a relationship with you. Thank you for all the evidence that points to your existence. And thank you most of all for Jesus, for sending him to die on the cross for our sins so that we might have our sins forgiven, we might have a home in heaven, and we might have peace and joy along the way. God, I pray that you would move each in each and every heart and that you would answer the hard questions that we have. Help us to find the answers that we seek so that those roadblocks might be removed, the things that hinder our relationship with you. We want to have an unhindered, unfettered relationship with you so that we might experience your 
infinite love, joy, peace, and kindness, and that we might be transformed and become more like Christ. That is our prayer, and we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen and amen.